Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Well, good morning. Again, a wonderful privilege to, to be here. I sometimes have to pinch myself to, to uh, just make sure I'm not dreaming that I have the the privilege of being able to study God's Word and proclaim the Gospel, uh, the greatest message in the world, the only truly good news that there is. And so I do praise God and thank you for for this amazing honor. This morning we're going to look at a, a section of Psalm 37. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn there to Psalm 37, just the first section, verses 1 through 11. And you see the title there, How to Defeat the Red Beast and the Green-Eyed Monster. Uh, The red beast, metaphor for uh, anger, sinful anger, and the green-eyed monster, it's from Shakespeare, uh, metaphor for envy. So if you don't have a problem with anger or envy, you can just relax. Um, Let me read the text and then we'll, we'll look at it. This is a psalm of David. He says this in the English Standard Version. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So as you can see from the heading, this is a Psalm of David. Uh, We don't know the setting or the context in which he wrote this. Uh, There were many times in David's life where he had many enemies and difficulties. Uh, But it's it's, uh, representative of those seasons in his life and the seasons in the lives of all believers. Remember the Psalms are, uh, the Psalter is the hymn book of God's people. It is uh, this most amazing collection of hymns and poems 
representative of all emotions that a human being can experience, from the highest highs to the lowest lows. And that's what I love about uh, the truth of God's Word, about Scripture, about Christianity, is its realism. Uh, it doesn't pretend, you know, that everything is going to be fine and you'll never have problems and, uh, you know, just trust the Lord and don't worry, everything's going to be fine. And uh, there was that song, probably most of you don't remember it, it's from when I was at school, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Okay? Uh, many people think that's what Christianity is. Don't worry, be happy. Uh, unfortunately, that same man who wrote and sang that song, I remember he tried to kill himself um, because we know life is not that simple. And it's true of the Christian life. Uh, This psalm, though, is quite interesting because it's an acrostic. So what that means is that uh, each stanza begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first one is the Aleph, and then Beit, Gimel, Dalet. So it it would be in English, it would be the first stanza, the first section begins with an A, and the second one with a B. And uh, there are quite a few passages of Scripture like this. Psalm 119 is probably the most famous one. But it's a mnemonic. It's a a device to help one memorize a a section of literature. And so uh, many commentators think that this passage would have been taught in school and parents would have taught their children. Uh, That's why it's written in this way. It's easy to memorize it. And what's the motivation here? Well, you know, when your children are young, you can just say to them, do this. And then if they say, why? Because I said so. Okay. Uh, But as they get older, it's not the wisest response, simply to say, because I said so. And uh, God also knows that, that uh, he doesn't just tell us because I said so, but he explains to us why we should live in a certain way. And as you're growing up in life, it doesn't take you long to realize that there is a lot of injustice. And people who, who practice injustice often get away with it. You know that saying, crime doesn't pay? Yeah. It seems to pay quite a lot, actually. Uh, It seems that you can do quite well out of being corrupt, out of being abusive, uh, about just doing whatever you want to do, your sinful desires. And so uh, as you're growing up in in a Jewish home, at the time when the psalm is written, or in a Christian home, and you begin to see this, you, you begin to see injustice. What's going on? Why must I do what is right? Why, must, why can I not go and do those things? Uh, why when everyone else... Have you ever been like at, a, at a traffic light and everyone else is just going and then the people behind you are hooting even though it's red and you're like, oh man, I am late. Let me just go anyway. Everyone else is doing it. Let me just go, you know. Everyone else is leaving work early and, you know, I know I signed an agreement to work till this time, but let me... Everyone else leaves early, so I, I'll also leave early. Everyone else is, is stealing from the company and nothing's happening to them. Let me also steal from the company. And so why? why? Why should we not live like that? And so the psalm here tells us why we should not follow that path. So we're not going to go through it verse by verse. Uh, I th- there is some repetition. So I thought it would be more helpful if I just divide it into these sections as I see it. Not to say it's the only way one could divide it. But uh, the three sections that, that I've, I've uh, titled here, the first section is what you mustn't do. The second one is what you must do. And the third one is why. So what you mustn't do, how you shouldn't behave. 
what you must do, how you should behave, and then why? Why should I behave like that? So what, what mustn't you do? Uh, the first thing from verse 1, and it's repeated in 7 and 8, is do not fret. Do not fret over evildoers, those who prosper because of wrongdoing. Later on it says, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So fret is an old English word. This psalm became known as the fretter's psalm. And often in biblical counseling it's used in people who are battling with anxiety, stress. And it's not wrong to use it in that situation because the principles are still true. But that's not really the idea here. It's not sort of I'm anxious over my exam or uh, I'm worried about paying my bills this month and so I I need to read Psalm 37. Uh, The idea here is is a type of anger. Literally, it means to, to get heated. Have you ever felt that? Where, you know, literally your body starts to heat up, (laughs) Uh, maybe even suddenly covered in a little bit of a a layer of sweat because of anger. That's the idea here. Uh, The root word has the idea of to burn, uh, to to be heated with anger. Uh, The Holman Bible says agitated. It's the idea of becoming irritable. So you're angry over something, you're heated up. I'm sure we've all felt that at times. Um, It's it's. It's because of evildoers that the psalmist is talking about here. People who prosper over uh, doing what is wrong. So maybe you've experienced that. Someone cheats in an exam. You can see them. They're cheating and yet they get away with it. Maybe they get a distinction. And there's that anger. How come they got away with it? Uh, It's people maybe on the road not obeying the laws of the land. And there's an anger that rises up. Or uh, again, one sees corruption. Uh, I don't know if you've um, uh, ever, you know, sometimes you'll see somebody will get a tender and then, uh, they, you know, they put a, a video clip or an Instagram post of their new Ferraris and their Bentleys that are arriving. And there's like an anger. What's going on here? Um, people need this equipment. What's, what's happening? And so that's the idea. When you see injustice or you experience injustice and there's an anger that rises up, suddenly you feel heated. Okay. Uh, one of the dangers with preaching is, especially when you do difficult topics, is that the Lord tests you on it. I think I should really make a, a, a rule for myself that I'll only preach on easy topics. Uh, so this morning, preparing for church, I don't know if you've ever found preparing for church on Sunday morning is quite stressful if you have a family. And uh, so I say to my my son, hurry up. Okay, and he walks exactly the same speed. Uh, and then uh, I get into the car. Morty says to me, what's wrong? And I said, I'm heated. <laughs> I'm, I can feel I'm becoming irri- irritated. Uh, and then, where's my mask? When we get here, where's my mask? Who's taken my mask? Uh, go and look in the church. They're under the table. No, there's nothing. Okay, send another child. <laughs> no, there's nothing. I come and have a look there just behind the bag. If I say look under, I mean look properly. <laughs> so that heated, that idea of irritability, when 
that's the idea. What's going wrong here? And you suddenly it rises up. And it's amazing, isn't it? I've been preparing a sermon on this the whole week. I've been saturated in the scripture. I've been hovering as I walk around. I'm just in the third heaven. And then reality. And suddenly, in a moment, I can feel myself becoming irritated. That's the idea. There's, there's things not going right. Things that are wrong. And you, you respond with anger. And the psalmist says, don't. Don't fret. Don't become heated over these things. And notice it's, good. it's things that one, one should. There should be a righteous anger. It's over evil, evil people. Those who prosper because of wrongdoing. He's not talking about a, a righteous anger. The Bible does teach a righteous anger. This is, this is when you become irritated, when you respond in a fleshly way, when you want to respond with vengeance uh, and anger and you, you maybe lose your temper. That's what is going on here. Don't respond like that. Don't become heated. Verse 1, another thing that he tells us not to do is not to envy them. Don't envy them. When you watch that video of the person who has uh, got a tender corruptly and then spent all their money on these you know, multi-million rand vehicles, there, I don't know if you experience this, there is a sense of anger and then a sense of, oh, man, I wish I could have that. One can begin to envy the way sinners live. Another psalm that you want to remember, and it's easy to remember it, because this is Psalm 37. Another psalm that deals with this is Psalm 73. So uh, God in His grace made it helpful for us, easy for us to remember. Just switch the numbers around. Uh, go and read that, and you see that the, 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 the worship leader in Israel is asking God, why do the wicked prosper? Everything goes well for them. They even die well. You know, often Christians use that argument, no, but Christians die well. Unbelievers die badly. Christians die badly as well. And unbelievers die well. It's not a law. The Bible doesn't say that. In fact, Psalm 73 proves that even the wicked, those who blaspheme God, reject Him, persecute His people, are corrupt, oppressed people, die in luxury. They're fine. The atheist... Uh, Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens, the vehement opponent of Christianity. The irony of that, because if you're an atheist, everything's materialistic, and it's just a random collocation of molecules that determines your thoughts. So the fact that he's upset with Christians doesn't make any sense in a materialistic worldview. But anyway, uh, after that rant, uh, <laughs> his last words were, don't keep the faith. That's how he dies. Don't keep the faith. He dies. Seems to die well. And so uh, it's easy to envy. We get angry, but we also envy. Isn't that interesting? A beautiful cars. I want one of those. Natalie and I went to watch the latest James Bond movie, and uh, they gave us a keyring. Beautiful keyring, like a weighty keyring of a model Aston Martin. I'm like, I've got the keyring. I just need the car now. Okay, <laughs> I just need the Aston Martin. I, you know, Lord, I appreciate good things. This is good engineering, good workmanship to you. Uh, see, it's so easy to get caught up in envy. 
When you see, you know, these celebrities, these uh, so-called artists, <laughs> and then promoting sexual immorality and vulgar music videos, and, and yet the, the money is pouring in, they're living these lascivious lives, and they're getting away with it. You think, why? Why must I remain faithful? Why must I live a, a celibate life if I'm s- uh, single? Uh, maybe you're a single lady and you're saying, well, I'm trying to honor the Lord. I'm trying to be modest, all of these things. But look at these Instagram models, influencers. Look how they live and look at all the following they get and look how happy they seem. And I'm trying to do the right thing. They make me angry, but then I also can become envious. And you see those as a pastor, you see those who compromise God's word, who preach a false gospel. And their churches grow and flourish and they have a jet and every two years they get another jet and it's, it seems to go so well. Or you see people looting and then it makes you angry and then you think, but I would like a flat screen TV. Um, you see that, isn't it interesting? The wisdom of the Psalms, isn't it fascinating those two go together? Anger. This is wrong and yet Envy. I also want that. And so the, David says, don't. Don't have that sinful anger. And don't be envious of the wicked. Verse 8, he says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. It means cease. Stop being angry. So the idea is you're already angry. Cease from that sinful anger. Often... You know, often what makes you super angry also exposes what's an idol to you. Isn't that right? That hypocrisy. Unfortunately, church history is littered with examples of people in the pulpit who lambasted other sinners and then it was exposed that they were committing the very same thing. And so this anger and this envy often go together. And so you need to watch your heart Now some commentators here think that this, in verse 8, this anger is towards God. David is saying, don't be angry with God, because that's another temptation. When things don't go the way you want them to go, when there is injustice, when you experience that, maybe bullying at school, uh, maybe, maybe false accusations against you, molestation, all these kinds of things, it is easy to, to begin to become angry with God. God, why are you doing this? Where are you? What's going on? So the psalmist says, refrain from from that anger. So those are the things you you and I must not do. Don't become heated. Don't resort to sinful anger and sinful anger against the Lord. And don't be envious of, of the wicked. What must we do? What are we to do? How, how are we to respond? And this is really wonderful, and I suppose this is the high point of the sermon. Uh, we'll give the motivation just now, but our response here, I want you to notice, is that it's all focused around the Lord. And that's why this psalm is applicable, whether you, you're anxious, uh, whatever you're backing with, the answer is always to begin to focus on the Lord. And if you look in your Bibles there, you'll see Lord is in capitals. 
verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 7. Um, so the whole word is in capitals. Uh, that means it is translating the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh, some say Jehovah, but it's God's covenant name. So it's relational. It's more personal and intimate than Lord, Adonai, which means master or sovereign. Uh, this means there's a relationship. Okay. This is for God's people. If you're a child of God, what are you to do? You're to focus on the Lord. Focus on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Focus on the Lord. The first one, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. So how are you and I to respond? Trust in the Lord. That's the first thing. Trust the Lord. He knows what He is doing. Submit to Him in this, when you when you're you want to become heated. You want to respond in this way. You want to envy. Trust the Lord. That promise that sometimes I, I worry can become a cliche. But even, even though people can abuse it and it can become a cliche to us, it may never happen. It is a wonderful truth that all things are working together for good for God's people. Trust Him. He's not lost control. It's working for good. He knows what he is doing. Trust him and do good. Do what is right. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now this is interesting. It says live in the land or dwell in the land. But later on it talks about inheriting the land. So it's one of the themes in the psalm is the idea of the land. The promised land. The nation of Israel. It seems that wicked people are monopolizing the nation of Israel, the land of Canaan. So live in the land. That's what David says. Continue to live, but the land will be yours one day. Okay. So continue to live as though, or you, know, you could put it when you come to the New Testament, uh, live as a Christian who has victory over sin now. So be who you already are. Live as a righteous person. Live as a person who is complete in Christ. Even though, unfortunately, we know that Christians still sin. The process of sanctification is becoming who you are in Christ already. Be who you are. Live in the land, even though they don't have the land, fully yet. That's, I just want everyone to know that's Lelo's son. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, to get into church... Get in. Make sure you're in. So dwell in the land. Live as a Christian. Even though we're not yet in the new heavens and new earth, live a righteous life. Befriend faithfulness. I love this, and this, this image. Make a friend of faithfulness. Faithfulness must be a close companion. What does that mean? Live in a faithful way. In a way... That, that honors the Lord. Submit to his, his teaching on how we should live. Obey His commands. Get into the habit of being faithful. Keeping your word. Keeping your promises. Submitting to the commands of Scripture. Make a friend. Okay? You know, making a friend is not an easy thing, unless you're on Facebook. Uh, making a proper friend requires work, doesn't it? It means spending time together. It means 
getting to know one another. It means even seeing problems and, and you know, there's difficulties. And so it is with faithfulness. Faithfulness has no problems, but our sinful flesh has problems with, with obeying. So begin to build a relationship with faithfulness. Start to practice it in the small things of your life every day. Develop that. Make a friend of faithfulness. So trust in the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Trust in Him, His promises. It's good to memorize the promises of God, to meditate upon them. There are many things God has not promised to us. Um, Unfortunately, Christians often take these things as though God has promised them. God has not promised you perfect health. God has not promised you uh, financial prosperity. God has not promised you marriage. God has not promised you children. God has not promised us many things. But they're things that He has promised. Build your life on those promises. He's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised to keep you to the end. He's promised to complete the work that He has begun in you. And so hold on to those promises. Trust in the Lord. Secondly, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. How am I going to put off these sinful emotions? Well, I, I have to replace them. I can't just say I'm going to stop being angry. I need to then begin to delight in the Lord. The word here is refresh. Refresh yourself in the Lord. Find comfort and satisfaction in Him. Refresh yourself in the Lord. Often we we, we maybe just go to to Scripture because we want our problems sorted out. But we're told to come to the Lord to, to... to refresh ourselves, to delight ourselves in Him. It's not wrong to bring your shopping list to the Lord, so I'm not going to be one of those preachers who says, you know, get rid of that. that we'll see just now that that's not right. In fact, the Lord's Prayer is full of our requests. But if it's only ever requests, then, then, then what does that say about your relationship with the Lord? If, if your friends are only ever asking things of you, if your children are only just one stuff from you, they're not interested in you as a person. You see, see, it reveals a lot. So also, cultivate that. Delight yourself in the Lord. Build a relationship with the Lord. Thirdly, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. And so here it is. Commit your life to Him. I said earlier about the Psalms. Bring everything to the Lord, no matter how small and insignificant it may, may seem. We heard earlier about from uh, open doors and the, 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 the sufferings of our brothers and sisters all over the, the planet. And, uh, and you know, it, it's, I'm busy sitting there listening to this and I'm like thinking, sure. People are being beheaded for the name of Christ and I get irritated with my Children not finding my face mask. Okay. Uh, and I've heard preachers say that. You know, Paul would have laughed at your suffering. And I, I don't find that in the Bible at all. Uh, God knows exactly what He's doing with each one of His children. Okay? Don't feel embarrassed to say, Well, I'm, I'm not suffering like others. How can I even pray about this? No. Bring everything to the Lord. Why are you even in this situation, in this country at this time? It's God's grace. Praise God for the freedoms that we have. Let's use them and cast all your cares upon Him 
Peter quotes or makes reference to this passage in verse 7 of chapter 5, verse, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Bring everything to him. Sometimes we want to be so spiritual, you know, I'll only bring serious things or if it's... No. Bring everything. Cast all your cares. Commit your way. That's your life. Your whole life to the Lord. If he's worried about the number of hairs upon your head, then he's concerned about every detail of your life. I I love that. There's no area too trivial. I think there's any part of your life that's trivial to Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for you. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. There it is again. Trust in him. And then verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still. Be silent. And so this is another area maybe that we have to cultivate. Time when we just quiet before the Lord. We are saying, Lord, I brought it to you. I've cast my cares upon you. And I'm now going to rest in you. You've heard me. God is not hard of hearing. Remember, Jesus teaches on prayer. You don't have to say it over and over and over and over again as though you can manipulate him or nag him into obedience. You don't need to shout louder. Remember, Elijah mocks the false prophets, doesn't he? Shout louder for your false God. You don't have to shout louder. We can even pray in your heart. Isn't that amazing? And then to be still, trust Him. Wait patiently for Him. And of course we know that that's also a difficult thing. You know that prayer, Lord, give me patience now. (laughs) That's how we... But to wait patiently. You know, that's an act of trust. Now I know there's seasons of life and maybe some of you are sitting there, "I, I, I cannot be still. My life is so full. I have little children, I have all these things uh, from morning to evening. There is something going on all the time. Well, there's a reason God has placed you into a local church, into the body of Christ. It's that we help one another, we bear one another's burdens. Don't be shy to ask another family, please, please look after my children for, for a few hours. I need to be still before the Lord. To ask your spouse or to a friend, whatever it is, that's why we are here. And maybe you should also be looking out. Maybe you can see someone has reached the end of their tether. To say to them, hey, can I help you? I've had people like that to say, you know, here's something for you and Natalie, just go out for a meal. Or, or here's something, uh, go away for a weekend. People in, in this church, it's, praise God for that. But you see, thinking like that to say, hey, how can we help people? That they can just be still before the Lord. So look out for one another. And don't be shy to ask, okay? Please, uh, ask. You know that there's people who come and say, how can we help? They're looking for ways to help. What about maybe you're just not resting as well? Maybe you feel guilty if if you rest. You know, that we, in Johannesburg, you can feel that, isn't that right? Uh, 
just as Christians, you can start to feel like that. You know, we should good works. I need to be working all the time. And so you begin to think, well, I can't just rest. You know, then I'm, I'm, I'm not being a good Christian. But it's wonderful to see how important rest is in the Bible, isn't it right? Not laziness, but rest. I love that the, the first command God gives the nation of Israel after he leads them out of Egypt is he reinstitutes the Sabbath. He gives them rest. Over and over again in the Old Testament, there are, you know, holidays is not an invention of the French Revolution or something. Rest is an invention of God right at the beginning. Six days you shall work and on the seventh day you shall rest. Learn how to be still before the Lord, how to rest. So that's what we are to do. Trust in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Focus on Christ. As we heard recently in the, in the book of Acts, as Leto so powerfully showed us, it's all about Christ. Come to Him. Delight in Him. Trust Him. Spend time in the Gospel saying, Holy Spirit, show me more of Christ. I want to delight in Him. I want to rest in Him. Now why? Why must we do this? What is the motivation? Well, two motivations. The first is to see what is the end of the wicked. What, what is the end of the conversation for those who are evil? Those who prosper through corruption. Those who are evildoers. What is their end? Look at verse 2. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You need to, to imagine you're, you're in the land of Canaan, in Israel, uh, where for a very short period of time, at spring, there was green grass for the animals. But then because of the heat and lack of rain, they would die and, and become uh, hard and, and uh, bristle, bristly. Uh, it, it, it was very clear to them, this does not last long. We see some green grass, it's going to go quickly. Okay. It's, a, it's a, an image that is used frequently throughout the, the scriptures to show the transience of man. And here the evil, are, the evil doers are like this. They will fade like the grass. They will wither like the green herb. It reminded me of Psalm 1, the contrast between the blessed person the one who loves the Lord and the, the wicked. The wicked are like chaff. They're, they're not permanent. They're useless, actually. So meditate on that. What will happen to these people if they continue in this, this way? They will not live forever. They'll not be able to carry on like this forever. They will fade. Verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off. They will be cut off. It speaks of death and being cutting off, sorry, being cut off from the people of God. They will be cut off. Reminded me of Isaiah 53, the, the servant song about the crucifixion. 
tells us there that the Lord Jesus was cut off because of our sins. Isn't this amazing? The wicked are, will be cut off. They will be damned. They will be lost. And then we read about the righteous one, the righteous servant, being cut off. And that's the, the gospel. That God himself took upon himself flesh. Came into this world with all its injustice, all its uh, blasphemy, all its ugliness. Never sinned once. Never responded in this heated way. Never envied the wicked. Never sought a physical revenge. And yet he is cut off on the cross. He is murdered. He lays down his life. He bears the wrath and the punishment that we deserve. We understand, hopefully, that the wicked deserve this. The wicked deserve to be cut off. They deserve, we all agree that wicked people should go to prison. There should be consequences. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. That there are consequences for the wicked. But for Jesus Christ to, to receive those consequences. Why did he do that? So that you and I don't have to receive the consequences that we deserve. He, he pays the price. He bears the punishment. He is cut off. So that we are never cut off. If you don't know Christ, then I plead with you to come to him today. To cry out to him for forgiveness. You are wicked. The Bible teaches that if you're still thinking you're not wicked, there's no hope for you in that state. If you're full of yourself, you think you're a good person, you're comparing yourself to others and you think I'm not so bad, there is no good news for you. And you're deceiving yourself. But if you realize your sin, you realize your brokenness, you realize the ugliness in yourself, then I have good news for you. If you cry out to the Lord to have mercy upon you, to forgive you, and you, trust, you entrust yourself to Him, you will be saved. He will grant you a pardon. He will give you eternal life. Don't be cut off. Another reason why we should not follow the way of the wicked is verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. In just a little while. You know that life is not long. It really isn't. Just a little while, a few decades, the wicked, that person, the unrepentant person who is corrupt, the unrepentant bully, the unrepentant molester, the unrepentant abuser, the unrepentant thief, they won't be there anymore. You can look carefully at their place, but you won't find them. The wicked have no permanency. Just think at world history. The kingdoms that have come and gone. You know that people who lived during those kingdoms could not imagine life without those kingdoms. They could not imagine that there would never be a Babylonian empire. Could not imagine there would never be a Herod the Great or the Roman Empire. But where are they now? I mean, if... 
if we've learned anything hopefully in the last few years, is that things can change very quickly. People thought that the, the, the Berlin Wall would never come down. And then it came down. People thought this is how life will be from now on. And then it changed. Wicked empires have come and gone. They're no more. A time will come when you won't find them. They won't be there anymore. So don't go down that path. It's not worth it. Don't envy them and think, I'm going to go that way. Don't make that decision. And you know that decision is not made overnight. It's a whole lot of little decisions you make and eventually, you're, you, you, before you know it, you're there. Don't start making those little choices now. Giving in to that envy. Giving in to that corruption. Trust the Lord. But what are the results for the righteous? So the motivation, why? Why must I obey God? Why should I go this way? Well, yeah, here's the motivation. Verse 4, He will give you the desires of your heart. The Lord says He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I used to think, and I'm sure maybe many of you are thinking that, oh, that's fantastic, He'll just give me whatever I want. Uh, in, a, in a sense, yes, as long as, but what it's saying is that He will change your heart so that you have new desires. That's what it's saying here. That's why Augustine Church Father could say, love God and do what you want. Love God and do what you want. What is he saying there? If you love God, if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, if you are trusting Him, if you are waiting patiently for Him to act, your desires will be different, isn't that right? No longer will you be obsessed with power and status and lust and greed. You will have new desires. You'll, you'll start to, 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 to imitate Christ more and have the, the heart of Christ. You'll long for different things. You'll long for people to be saved. You'll long for the church to grow. You'll long for greater holiness. You'll have a deeper care for people. You will see everything in the, in the light of eternity. What's the big picture? That your life will, is like a stone dropped into the water. The ripples continue long after you. You've gone. You know that? The influences of your grandparents or your great-grandparents are still felt in your life. You'll begin to think like that. Not short-term, not instant gratification, but long-term. The kingdom of God. How I live now matters. You'll think of reward. Greater enjoyment of the Lord and glory. Not wanting to be ashamed. That is His coming. And He has the promise. He will give you the, those desires. He will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5. He has another promise. Why? He will act. God says, I will act. He will respond. Isn't that wonderful? As you bring those situations to the Lord, those difficulties, the promise is He will act. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Paul says, As He who calls you is faithful, He will surely do it. He will act. Verse 6, just to temper us, 
says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So the promise is God will act. Trust in Him is like a trigger. God responds to that. He loves to respond to, to faith in His children. But it's not always immediately evident that He is acting. Isn't that right? I mean, it would be wonderful we could just call down lightning from heaven and there would be an immediate response to injustice or problems or difficulties. We have a promise that God will act, but then He has the delay. You see the picture? He will, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The picture here is sort of of the sun, but it's covered with clouds, but eventually the sun will shine through. And so you need to be aware of that. As we heard last week, sometimes we pray and pray and pray, maybe for years and decades. The Lord is acting, but not necessarily in the way we expect. Yesterday at Ironman, Homolemo was sharing uh, with us uh, the example of Mueller, George Mueller, the, the, the great Christian. Uh, he founded orphanages and he trusted God to provide. But it said that he prayed for all his friends to be converted for decades, for his whole life. And never saw one of them converted. But the Lord saved them after his, his death. God is acting. It may not be immediately evident. But remember what Jesus said. My father and I are always working. He is acting. He's acting behind the scenes in ways we can't begin to understand. Just think. God is managing 8 billion people. I think it's 8 billion. It's always changing, obviously. <laughs> Maybe it's more. Well, it is more, but I don't know how much more. Uh, isn't that incredible? The most intricate tapestry imaginable. God has predestined and sovereignly ordained the movement of every single human being coming into contact and effects here and there and all of these things. He is constantly working to build His church. He will act. But be patient. Verse 9. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And so he comes back to the land. To say, dwell in the land. There is a lot of iniquity. There is a lot of injustice. But live. You will receive the land. You will inherit the land. The meek will inherit it. They shall inherit the land. And of course, land is a massive theme throughout Scripture. And within every human being, within our psyche, the way God has made us is a longing for a place to say, this is my, my own. This little plot of land belongs to me. But what the Bible also teaches us is that even if you have that piece of land, it doesn't ultimately satisfy because nothing here can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And so this picture points to something beyond that. That's why the writer of Hebrews can say that Abraham wasn't looking for a piece of land. God said, I'll promise you a piece of land, the land of Canaan. And you know what the writer of Hebrews tells us? He says Abraham was actually looking for something better. A city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for something far, far greater. Natalie was telling me about a verse that was, was meaningful to her this past week. Uh, 
First Peter 1 verse 17 says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. If you're a child of God, this is not your home. We're exiles. We're ambassadors. We're like Abraham. We're looking for something far greater. The Lord Jesus quotes this passage in the Sermon on the Mount and he changes it. Matthew 5 verse 5. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. It's no longer the land of Canaan. That's no longer the obsession with the scriptures. It's way beyond that. God's people will inherit the whole earth. The new heaven and the new earth. We will finally belong properly. There will be no sense of alienation. No sense of being in exile. A place that truly is ours. And it will be home because Christ is there. You know, people say that. You know, there's a difference between a a house and a home. eh? A house is just that building. But a home is there especially because of the people who are there. You know that? You come home to an empty place. Not so nice. You come home to those that you love and love you. a home and so it'll be in the new heavens and new earth the one who loves us more than we can begin to imagine loved us so much that he laid down his life for us that's why people you know when they start talking about mansions in heaven i always like yeah what do you want 20 bedrooms what do you i don't even know if we'll sleep Uh, (laughs) and people like you know try and paint this picture of mansions and no it's who's there Christ. Christ will be there. And all our brothers and sisters. People that, that, I mean, since we planted this church, how many people have come through this, the, the church and, and they're still serving the Lord, but in different places and maybe I'll never see them again on this planet. But I will see them forever. Okay. I love that. I love that I know that, okay, you're going but I'll spend it forever with you. Okay? Maybe it's not so nice for other people to think of me being there forever, but <laughs> you'll be sanctified by then. So, uh, But isn't that glorious? That's the hope. The meek will inherit these things. And you know, the world hates meekness. Everything now is about self-assertion, about your rights, about all of these things. There's a saying that says, yeah, the meek may inherit the earth, but they won't win on the racetrack. Okay? Uh, you know, meekness won't get you anywhere. You've got to stand on other people. You've got to hurt other people. They get in your way. You know, it's like that new Nike advert. I always find it so funny. Uh, it's quite disturbing, but uh, it's about, you know, this is the new way, and they've got uh, homosexuals, transgender, every type of person imaginable playing soccer and they say you know this is the new way where everyone's accepted but if you don't accept it you're booted okay the irony of it like everyone's welcome and we love everyone if you if you differ with us however you're out of here you're gone but the the the, the irony of this this world the, the inconsistency but when you come to christ there is acceptance there is a welcome 
It's not that he, you know, come as you are. God receives those who repent of their sin. We welcome everyone to church. It doesn't matter what your background is. We want people to come under the sound of God's word. But we don't want you to stay the same. The Lord receives those who repent of their, of their sin. And so the meek will inherit the earth. Trust the Lord. It doesn't mean it's, it's uh, passive, that you just sit back in bed and do nothing. The proverb says, prepare the horse for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. We do what we're called to do. I'm called to delight in the Lord. I'm called to befriend faithfulness. I'm called to trust the Lord. I do what I'm commanded to do, but I leave, it, I leave the battle to the, to the Lord. I rest in, in Him. I trust Him. And the meek will inherit the earth. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for uh, the wonderful promises here. Thank you that you don't tell us just to obey, but you, you always motivate us. You always show us the blessing. You reveal yourself to us. You are the greatest blessing, Lord. To know you, to have a relationship with you, to be satisfied by you. And as the psalm ends, to know abundant peace. We're all longing for that, Lord. Peace. We thank you for the new heavens and new earth. A time when there will be no more fighting. No more fighting between different groups. No more hatred. No more violence. No more fighting Satan and sin. We look forward to that, Lord. I pray that you would help us as we are tempted to anger, sinful anger and envy. To seek you, Lord Jesus, to trust in you, to meditate upon you, to delight in you, to commit our ways to you. And thank you that you are acting. Help us to be patient, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.